We are back after a long, long, long hiatus. It's Salman and Badiftah. Welcome and back, guys. Today, we've got a special, very, very, very spe- special episode. <laughs> She's looking at me like, what's wrong with this guy? Um, <laughs> so basically, a couple of days ago, um, I was on Twitter doing what you do. And I saw a tweet. Someone said... Um, I'm finally back from China um, and, you know, I can finally talk about um, what that experience was like. And I was like, ooh, and it was an interesting time because it was just um, after the, the whole Uyghur thing and the massive media blackout that was going on in China. So it was a really interesting um, uh, uh, timing. So um, today we have with us the one and only... Najma, my name is Najma Hersi. Thanks for having me. Listen, it's lovely to have you, Najma. Um, obviously, first of all, congratulations on making it out. Oh, thank you. Sir. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> well, a bit mad out there, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, it is. <laughs> so, let's just, obviously, let's get straight into it. Um, you're, you're black, Somali. Mm-hmm. Um, you're Muslim and you're a hijabi. Mm-hmm. What took you to China? <laughs> mm. Okay, I think um, to answer this question, we have to go a little bit back. So I finished university when I was 21. I got myself a degree in English and history. And obviously, Bachelor of Arts were very employable. Of course. So Mm. within two months, I was working in mental health, you know, minimum wage. So I did that job for about six months before I got a message on my, I think it was one of those... um, recruitment sites I had a posting on where I had my CV and my qualifications Mm -hmm. and they said would you like to use your degree and teach abroad and obviously I'm working night shifts at mental health I was like hell yeah so I I responded and I was like yeah I'd be very interested and they said okay that's perfect send us over your degree and what you've done and I did and they were like great so come down to our offices in London and we're going to interview and we have two positions one, you're going to be based in China, or two, you're going to be based in Russia. So Damn. I went, <laughs> yeah, I went down to the interview. They interviewed me, and obviously, like any other grad job, they had, you know, you have to have five years' experience, even though you just graduated, and all of this course. nonsense. No, yeah, yeah. No. all of the nonsense. <laughs> I get to the interview room, there's a guy who's been a teacher for 20 something years, taught in the Philippines for five years. I'm sitting there like, I'm never getting this job. Like, I don't know why I showed up. I wasted my train ticket, you know? I don't know what I'm doing. I get in, guy turns out to be this lovely Nigerian guy. And he was just so excited that he saw another black face, to be honest. I think that's why he gave me the job. (laughs) (laughs) So, interviewed. A week later, they said, you've got the job. Pick a position. Do you want to work in China or Russia? Mm. Obviously, I wasn't going to go for Russia. I don't like the cold. So, (laughs) I thought, okay, China it is. So, then... It came to like region, like where do you want to work? And they said they've got lots of different ones. The ones that are actually better paid are in rural areas, like in a mountainous region. And I said, hell no. <laughs> I need to be near an embassy, near civilization, near mm. an airport, all of the above, yeah. you know? So then... What, what, what city did you end up going to? Beijing. Okay, okay. So, so you were right slap bang in the middle of the in, hall. Yep. I literally was in Beijing and I made sure I literally lived less than half an hour away from the airport, mm. right next to the embassy, all of the above. Just yeah. in, like, <laughs> just in <laughs> case, yeah. yeah. I need <laughs> to get, get out and get out. I made sure I was there and ready. So yeah, that's how I ended up there. Okay, so that tells us the story of how you got there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm still, I'm still a bit baffled. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Never mind you, yeah. Like, I'm thinking... The idea of me going, yeah, as a guy is, do you know what I mean? I'm, I'm, listen, I struggle to leave Europe, <laughs> do you know what I mean? I don't know about China. So, um, before we kind of talk about what the experience itself was, obviously, like, there's certain, um, uh, kind of culturally and all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. there's certain baggage that we have as a community, yeah? Mm-hmm. So, what was that process like, like, kind of trying to convince your parents do you know what I mean? Um, that, do you know what I mean? Um, hey, mom, dad, obviously China, isn't it? <laughs> do yeah. you know what I mean? What's the process like? So my mom initially, I think when I was interviewing for the job and everything, she was very supportive in the sense that she wanted me to get a job that I was happy doing. And she always knew that I wanted to teach abroad and things like that. So she was very supportive. I think the only thing that she found it hard to reconcile was the distance and how far China actually is. But so when I actually got the job, my mom was very supportive but she was just worried about how far away I was going to be. 
and the fact that obviously um, China does have a bit of a reputation for not being like particularly friendly to Muslim people. Although I have to say, when I was going, so that was about a year and maybe two months ago, there wasn't as much coverage of the sort of like persecution of Muslims or anything. Unfortunately, all of that was happening while I was there. Why you, wow. <laughs> yeah. wow. So wow. when I was going, I just thought the black thing is going to be mainly the issue rather than anything else. And so it was one of the ones where it was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. My dad, on the other hand, believed that I'd kind of lost my mind. <laughs> so <laughs> when I told him, he first of all, he thought it was a prank. <laughs> then he thought I was trying to scare him. And then when he found out I was serious, he was... I think the nice way to put it would be shocked. <laughs> so he was shocked. And also he couldn't sort of understand what would possess me to go. So, which is a fair point. But as well, he was mainly like really worried about the fact that the distance, the fact that we don't know a single person. Oh, yeah, that's another thing. I didn't know a single person when I went there. I didn't know anyone that had been there, anyone that had done anything. I mean, so, that's, that's a big thing in, in, in the Somali community that... You, if you're even if you're going on holiday somewhere, if you don't know a single person, that they will say to you like, what, "What's the point? Why are you going to that? Place? Why are you going to that yeah. place? Why don't you go to to this place or yeah, that place yeah, or that yeah, place? Yeah. yeah, so yeah. where well, we have family, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. definitely. So my dad was definitely more of he wanted me to move to sort of like the UAE or Saudi or something, but at the time that wasn't the job position that I was, I was being offered. Like if they were going to give me an offer, I would take it, but mm. I didn't get one. The one I got was for China. Mm. And also I thought the fact that it was so unusual as well would end up working in my favor if I survived the year, which alhamdulillah I did. Alhamdulillah. Yeah. So that was another thing. But I think the main pressure came from the sort of like extended community rather than my immediate mm. family. Mm. So my dad has always known that we're very fiercely independent, mm. me, both me and my sister. So he didn't, that wasn't really thing to him i think he only just worries like any other parent but Mm. he doesn't have any sort of like old views of like you know girls can't do this girls can't do that that's not really a thing in my Mm. household Mm. but it was more like the aunties and things Mm. trying to tell my mom that i was going to go to china and lose my mind and all these things they always tend to be worse isn't it and then they ruin your parents you know what i mean because then when when your parents might have been okay Mm -hmm. now you got these people coming in what's what's that into their minds and that (laughs) you know i mean and all of a sudden they come with fears they never had before. You're like, oh, mum, we had this conversation. Do you exactly, know what I mean? Yeah. We were good like a minute ago. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. There was definitely talks of human trafficking and all this that they were trying to scare my mum into. It got to a point where my mum was like, are these things which are... Mum, it's not human. It's a genuine company. People yeah. work here. It's yeah. Like, this is the head office. It's not human trafficking. It's uh-huh. really not. And just things like that that they were trying to do. And also, they would try and use random examples of, oh, so-and-so's daughter moved out the house and now she's, I don't know, unemployed, a drug addict, I don't know. And somehow I'm going to fall down the exact same thing. This one lady tried telling my mom that the first step is that you move out of your mom's house and the next step is you get tattoos. <laughs> like <laughs> what? Like, what is this escalation? How does that make sense? Where is the, uh, yeah. where's the progression? Where's the logical yeah. progression? But even in that, I was quite smart in the sense that I didn't tell anybody until one month before it was time for me to leave. Ah, so after okay. I got the job and the visa process, nobody knew. I didn't tell a lot of my friends until I think a month before I was actually heading out. So after I got my visa approved, also I didn't want to tell anyone in case obviously a lot of things can go wrong. Your visa can of get course. denied, you know. They might realize that there's not actually a, a position suitable for you in Beijing. And if they try and send me anywhere else, I wasn't going. So I didn't want to tell anyone anything until my visa was approved and I had to leave within the next 31 days. Mm-hmm. So that's when we started to tell people. And even then, it was a lot of time for people mm-hmm. to get like stick their nose in and just, you know, try and get my parents change their mind, which mm-hmm. alhamdulillah they did not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my parents are like very headstrong. I think my mom particularly is a very headstrong person. You can't yeah. tell her anything. Mm-hmm. So that was cool. And also, I was very open and upfront with my mom about everything, the particular process of the visa, where I'm going to live. I'm going to contact her regularly, all of this. So we had, between me and her, we had an understanding and an agreement. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, it was fine. Mm-hmm. But I know a lot of my friends, my friends' parents thought I was crazy. And they, would, they, they, they always told me, like, if you were my child, I would lock you in the house. <laughs> wow, okay. I'm not your child. Yeah. <laughs> all things like, why are you doing this? Don't, I had the interesting one with, don't you love your family? Wow. Like, what does that wow. do? What level of emotional blackmail is this? <laughs> what kind of? What kind of? <clears throat> it's like your mom's gonna be heartbroken without me. My mom said she was gonna be just fine. <laughs> you know? I spoke to her two minutes. Yeah, ago. exactly. <laughs> or it's like your mom's being brave now, but once you're gone, she's gonna fall apart. I mean, please don't put that on my mom. You know, don't put that out there. Like, I think the the uh, like responsibility of moving out. It's the, it's the first time, like, mm-hmm. as soon as you move out the first time, 
your parents don't really mind. Do you know what mm. I mean? So this time around, if you if you told your parents you're going UAE or Dubai mm. or um, you know Saudi or whatever, mm. like they would be cool with it. Because even for us, like when we were f- first going to university, mm. away from like Birmingham, mm-hmm. it was like what. And what, what, exactly what you were saying about other people saying, mm-hmm. is there no university in Birmingham? Last time I checked, there's about five. Mm-hmm. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, like they start, you know, whispering into your parents' ears. So as soon as you do that and they see you're responsible and you survive that stint, mm-hmm. not, all of a sudden you're an adult to them. Definitely, yeah. Do you know what I mean? I think it's just the fear of going against the grain. If you do anything that people aren't doing then automatically they have to obviously respond with like some sort of like negative thing to say but otherwise they don't want other people to start doing it mm-hmm. so they'll do that regardless so we've we've talked about um kind of the 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 kind of the inception of the idea um you know what you kind of had to go through to, to make it happen you're now in beijing china mm. run us through okay um so i got to beijing china the 23rd of august 2018 mm. And um, so the company that I work for often has foreign teachers. So what they do is the process is you um, you get put up in a hotel for two weeks mm-hmm. while you do training and you begin work and everything. In that time, you open up a Chinese bank account where you get paid mm. and you find an apartment and move out. So the two weeks, the hotel is paid for and that's where you stay. So the first day, we all got like Chinese SIM cards and everything. And they just had to explain to us. So we first got like an induction, which is like the mandatory training they have to tell you about like you know how a normal job tells you what your rights are? Yeah. In this specific training, they tell you what your rights aren't. So you <laughs> well, go in. Welcome to China, yeah? Yeah. Hello to communism. Yeah. <laughs> so as soon as you enter, there's a mandatory training that everybody has to attend. It's incredibly scary, I'm not going to lie. Mm. Yeah. And you, every, you basically get told anything and everything that you need to know when it comes to legalities and sort of like respecting the laws and staying out of jail for example, and also what to do in the instances that you do end up in jail. So mm, that's the first day. Mm. <laughs> great welcome. I said great welcome. Yeah. <laughs> okay, wow. yeah. I'd have been a booking man returning straight away. Like, I, I made a mistake. So it's, it's just little things like you can't discuss politics. You can't discuss Chinese politics. If you're out somewhere eating pizza with your friends and you decide to make even one slightly offhanded comment where you say something about the Chinese government, you can go to jail. And so it's just about being very vigilant in what you say the types of materials you share on your phone with your friends your messaging for example and also just other things like when you're always traveling you have to always travel with id so i don't drive in my case that was my passport i take my passport with me every single day because wow. you can be asked for id at any point making sure you have to adhere by all the laws so as soon as you get an apartment you have to register with your local police station to tell them this is where i live i'm a foreigner this is my passport here's my documentation so they need to know where you are and where you live at all times so things like that that you have to do and if you don't do this you can either get fined or you can go to jail so if you get an apartment and just live there and start living your life and they find that you haven't registered you can get Mm. heavily fined Mm. your company can get heavily fined or you might even end up going to jail it literally just depends on like how lenient i guess the person is so they have to tell you all this information obviously to cover themselves and also to make you aware so you get like a booklet of everything Everything. to avoid and everything to not do while you're there including like a lot of us use something called the vpn virtual private network which is how we access social media and things like this Mm -hmm. not to publicize the use of this not to tell chinese locals about this don't be trying to advertise it and just keep everything like that on the down low you know keep your social media and your digital footprint very clean don't have your name attached to anything that can be deemed as suspect or shady wow so all of that yeah day one day one (laughs) wow and just on that just a slight detour what was it like for you someone who grew up here to um to get used to that like you know that, that change how jarring was that change it was very, um, I think it was very, one, it was, at first it was just shell shock, like mm-hmm. you can't believe this. And then afterwards, it's just very different. Like you have to actually take an active, so I had to download like The Guardian, The Telegraph, all the normal news outlets that I would follow back home because they're not freely accessible there. Mm-hmm. So I would have to like make it a point to make sure I watch the news every day to know what's going on in the world. Because if you don't watch the news for three days, you literally live in a bubble. Like. For example, you know the Christchurch attacks? Yeah. When that happened, we had a media blackout. So we, I only found out about it two days after it happened. Wow. Wow. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. It doesn't make the news there. Mm. And so you can easily find yourself completely isolated and not knowing anything that's going on in the world. So things like that, you just have to take like a really active 
sort of approach to making sure you stay informed in what's going on in the world mm. and mm. other things as well like not being able to engage in anything so people love to tweet about this and China this and China that I made sure I don't accidentally double tap anything I don't follow any accounts <laughs> like people try to send me links of hey Nesma watch this BBC documentary are you trying to get me sent to jail I'm not doing this don't sometimes I just didn't respond what is it like living in China as a black female Muslim what's the government like I will block you <laughs> you know yeah, yeah. don't don't send me these kind of messages mm. like I might be using a VPN and I might be technically hiding my proxy and giving me false locations but still I'm mm. not trying to risk my chances in any way you have to just be really really careful mm. in anything you did mm. so like when my brother would call me or my sister would call me I'd be like if the words out of your mouth aren't I love China don't let's not talk about uh, it let's not talk about <laughs> yeah, it yeah. No, I mean, let's not yeah. talk about let's it let's not do this <laughs> yeah. can, can, can you uh, uh, yeah. just turn your head a bit and speak into it speak into yeah, it speak okay into it. Yeah. Yeah. perfect um, alright so that's the first day <laughs> the first day is they drop all of that on <laughs> your head yeah? yeah and 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 you've decided to still stay yeah that's that's you in it that's wow. you in it. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie to you um, alright so, so so day one day one passes by and you go through that. Mm-hmm. Um, you're now in a hotel, yeah? You've mm-hmm. got two weeks mm-hmm. to get all your affairs in order yeah. before, um, you know, you have to vacate and, and find your place for all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. So that logistical process, what was that like? Um, it was very tough. Like, from you, arrive, you have to do something called a medical check where they have to do, like, an intensive medical check to see if you have any kind of illnesses that you might bring up. Mm-hmm. So, like, you have to go to the Ministry of Public Health and, like, it's just very intensive. Then you have to do, you have to get your visa converted. It's just a lot of paperwork. But when I arrived, I arrived with like 20 or so other people from all over the world. So we had like a really good group that I arrived with. And so I think that was really important. We had like a good support system because we were all there for the same two weeks. Me and one of my friends, we were working at the same school as well. So me and him ended up going to the same school and we were staying in the hotel. Everyone's staying in this hotel. We have like different rooms, floors, wherever you are. And every morning we have to come down at 9 a.m. and go and do all of this. So it was a lot of paperwork a lot of unnecessary paperwork to be honest like they make you fill out 10 forms you get that they only need one and it's like why did i fill out 10 forms <laughs> wow and even little things like in china they use your surname first so any form you fill out if you don't do it in that specific order you have to start all over again mm. so it's like your surname your middle name and then your name mm. and then they'll ask you to write the hotel address in chinese you know damn well i can't write chinese <laughs> and like you have to ask random chinese people to write things for you yeah and you're like hey copy this please yeah. and they can do it so fast and yeah. we can't yeah. and it was just it was really rough and then afterwards it's like all the paperwork and everything and then you have to get a chinese sim mm. and whilst you're there getting your sim and everything you have to make sure the person doing your phone cannot see your vpn so your vpn has to be in a file in a file ah uh, you have to hide it yeah, yeah. Uh, wow. okay yeah like yeah your Twitter, Instagram has to be like in some random folder called like finances or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because yeah, yeah. they cannot find like you using Instagram freely. Yeah, you can't be doing that. Wow, like that must have been a like culture shock. It was, but at the same time, I'm just I think I'm very I'm just stubborn. Like when I did it, I committed to it. I committed to it. You're like you know? we're here, we're gonna do this. Yes, we're gonna do this. <laughs> yeah, we did have two people that left in the first week and were like, Nah, I'm out. I mean, that makes sense. I'm not gonna. That's, yeah. That would have been me. Yeah, yeah. that we're gone. <laughs> two out of like 27. The rest of us stuck out. But that's pretty good though. I'm not gonna lie to you. Yeah, that's two. very very good odds. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And one of them was just like just not for me, and the other guy had some family issues, so he had to go back home. But the rest mm. of us, we stuck it out. Mm. Okay. Okay, so you stuck it out. All right, it's so interesting to like. It, it really is, and you know, to find out how different it is. You know what I mean? It's incredibly different. And yeah. all right, okay. In terms of, um, in terms of, um, okay. So you've so, so that's the logistical process here. Mm-hmm. Now, what was it like for you navigating the kind of Chinese institutions? Okay, so you you're trying to set up a bank account now. You're trying oh, yeah. to do all these things. What's mm-hmm. that experience like? So um, I think. In China specifically as well, I think you'll find that a lot of the institutions are like inherently racist. Okay. And they have inherent bias against people that are like obviously Muslim. So mm-hmm. I'm a hijabi. Mm-hmm. But when I was in China, I wasn't going to volunteer this information to anybody. So yeah. any of the forms when they asked me what was my religion, yeah. I would either tick prefer not to say or I would tick I'm not part of any form of organized religion. Mm-hmm. Like you can't tell me I'm a Muslim if I tell you I'm not. You know? Yeah. So I we went to the bank the first day, me and the guy that I was working with at my particular school. So we're both Brits. We get there, we're in the queue, getting our whole banking done. We filled out these like ridiculously lengthy forms and everything. And once we get there, the the lady who's like processing, so he's at the window next to me and I'm here. And then we have two local teachers who are like our interpreters slash trying to help us with all the paperwork. But the girl that was with me specifically as well, they're very 
it's not nice to say, but they're quite ignorant in the sense that they don't understand what discrimination is, mm. race, and they have no yeah. idea. Okay. So I get there, I hand in my form. The lady realizes that I'm Somali, but I'm British. Mm-hmm. So she cannot reconcile the two and therefore first thinks that my passport is stolen. Wow, okay. Yeah, she natural, literally natural conclusion. Natural yeah. conclusion: the is passport it, is stolen. You're gonna steal a passport and go to a, to go, 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 of course, go, right? Go, go to, you know to I mean, go to a bank. All go places to China, in go the to, world, I will see the passport and then go to China. Do you know like, what I mean? That's the first thought that comes to my mind. <laughs> right. And then my friend who's with me, who's also a Brit, is saying, "No, this passport is not stolen. I'm telling you, she managed to fly all the way from Heathrow, England, <laughs> to here. How on a stolen passport?" And in China, it's a very homogenous population. There's not many people that are foreign at all in comparison to people that are Chinese. So for them, the fact that you are not quote unquote white and you have a British passport, it makes no sense to them. You either stole it, like one, they even began to ask me like, are one of your parents white? And I'm like, no, none of my parents are white. I have no white in me. And they're like, so how did you get this passport? What claims do you have to this passport? And then that's how uh, they don't give out their passport. They don't, they don't at all. They don't. Yeah. Then they decide to cease my passport, quote unquote. So the lady behind the counter takes my passport, and you know how they have the glass thing. Yeah, she's not giving it back. <laughs> so she's like, "This passport is stolen. I'm ceasing it. Please leave." Uh, she she can speak English. Uh, no, this, this is all through the local teacher. She's telling wow. me she's taking your passport. That's frustrating. And we have to leave. And I'm like, and the thing is, all that was irritating me, I specifically remember was this lady would speak for five minutes and this girl would translate one sentence. That's not what she said. I heard a lot more. But even then, her English wasn't that great. So I'm just trying to understand and like listen really carefully. I heard the word Muslim several times. So then afterwards, she said to me, we're confiscating a passport. I said, how do I get it back? Like, First of all, I was arguing, you're not, you're not a police officer, how dare you confiscate my passport? You can't do this, this is illegal. And then- Illegal, that, I don't even know what that term is. Exactly, <laughs> you can't take someone's passport. And also I'm really worried because I'm going to be stranded in China with no passport. Like I can't go so much as like on the train here or there because if anyone stops me, I don't have a passport. So I'm there like really panicking because mm. it's very much a police state. You can't be walking around with no ID. And mm. she's taken my only form of ID that I have. Mm-hmm. So now I'm basically undocumented. <laughs> And so I take to his, I go to this girl, we're going to go to the embassy right now. Because I already knew where the embassy was. I had the address written that I knew where it was. I went to the British embassy and I basically told them. My oh, so you had to leave? Yeah, I had to leave. They escorted me out. <laughs> well, scary in that. Yeah. Oh my God. So I took the girl with me, went to the embassy and I told them, hey, my passport's been taken off me. I just had to give them my name and national insurance and everything. And they found obviously that I'm British. Mm-hmm. And then I also had passports on my photo on my phone. I was like, see, look, this is my passport. They have it. <laughs> wrote me a letter saying basically that it's actually illegal to take someone especially a foreign national's passport off them without any grounds and you're not a police officer so they gave me this long letter that was typed in english and chinese went back to the same bank and was like give me my passport she ended up reading it manager was called it was just a whole kerfuffle bear in mind my friend that was with me got his his, his bank account and everything 15 minutes i'm here having my passport he, he, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm gonna take a wild shot in the dark here yeah. he's white yeah there we go and the thing was he was completely shocked because he'd never seen such outright racism yeah. in his life. He was like, this is insane. Because uh, in, here in Britain, we know that uh, yeah. we do things differently exactly. when it comes to racism yeah. and discrimination. When, when the teacher asked me, what would you do if this was England? I said, if this was England, it, this would be happy days. I'm getting a payout. Are you kidding me? I wouldn't even be fighting. Can you please put down in writing that you refuse to give me an account based on these grounds? I'm getting a payout. Like, I would be happy. But then we finally get the passport back and I'm trying to apply for it. And now she says to me, oh, no, you can't have it on the grounds that you're Muslim and therefore you're a threat to national security. What? Oh, my God. So, yeah. So at this point, I'm just there like, you're, you're making this up as you go along. Clearly, <laughs> first my passport was fake. Now I'm a threat. And then she says to me, I said to her, you can't prove that I'm Muslim. I didn't tell you that I'm Muslim. So she looks back at the form and says, why didn't you write down that you're Muslim? And I said, you can't tell me that I am. And she's like, you're clearly Muslim, you're Somali. I said, Google it, Somalia has diverse religions. Like we actually have like Christians, like it's documented there are Christians in Somalia. So she said, are you telling me you're Christian? I said, I'm not saying either or. But what I'm saying is, I told you that I'm not telling you anything about my religion. And then she's like, you're clearly a Muslim, I can tell. And then she asked me about my hijab. And I said to her, it's just a scarf. And she goes, but why are you wearing it? I said, why aren't you wearing one? Like a piece of clothing? Because at this point, I'm not trying to give her any ammunition. Like I am Muslim, but I'm not going to tell you that. I'm not going to volunteer this information. Mm, 
Then the whole process happens and I end up being escorted out again. <laughs> and I have no bank account. But I have my passport this time. Yeah. So I go okay. back to the hotel. It's a small W. Yeah, it's small yeah, it's w. Yeah. <laughs> took, I took my friend with me and my friend is just absolutely shell-shocked. He's just like, this is illegal. We tried to explain to them what discrimination was and how this was discrimination. They thought it was hilarious. I don't think it exists. Though. <laughs> yeah. Go back to the hotel and I'm like, guys, I don't have a bank account. And the company I worked for was refusing to pay me into any bank account except that specific Chinese bank account. No. Which then means I'm, I'm, I've am i been working and I'm working these two weeks for absolutely free. I'm not going to get paid. And if I don't get paid and I don't have a Chinese bank account, I can't rent a place. And I can't get... When you get there, they give you an advance of like 10,000 Chinese RMB, which is to go down on the deposit and everything. Because in China, like startup costs are really expensive. Mm. And so they give you this advance, then you just pay it back slowly throughout the year. Mm. I can't get this advance. I can't do anything. All my money is tied up. On so me how much is like 10,000? It's about 1,100. 1,100. Wow. Mm. Almost. That's a lot of money. And also yeah, I need yeah. it to get, because you have to pay realtors fees. You have to pay all these things. You have to pay to get your contract translated because you don't speak Chinese and all mm. of this. So I'm really relying on this bank account that I've been denied. Day two, I go back to my school and I explain to the lady, my boss was a Chinese lady, and I said to her, listen, I didn't get an account. This is why, this is why. She says to me, let's try a different branch. I'm just like, excuse me? So China has such bad policies and procedures. There's no system that she was like, we can try our chances with another branch. Went to another branch. Another branch of the same bank? The same bank. Another branch. This bank, this branch didn't have a problem with my passport. Uh. But they did have the problem with the fact that I was Somali. Okay. Also linked me to being Muslim. But kind of, it was a dead giveaway to be honest. But then again, my I was refused. Didn't work. They were like, sorry. We went to another bank. By the third time, it'd been flagged because I tried to open a bank account three different places in Beijing. <laughs> so finally something yeah, happened. Something, finally happened, I'd been flagged. And you don't understand how scary it is when you've been told that you've been flagged by the Communist Party. Oof. That's one. Those are the oh, words. Wow. You, those are the words you never want to hear in yeah, your life. Yeah. And then I'm looking at her like, does that mean I'm going to jail? You know, what does this mean <laughs> for me? Should know. If anything, it's good because it, it means they're gonna look into it now as to why you're why it's being flagged. Yeah. Then should I'm gonna escalate this? This has never happened. Turned out the company I worked for, which has hundreds and thousands of employees, has never had a Muslim woman working that is. I like Somali and British so they have one other Somali girl that I knew but she's Canadian born and raised Canadian so they don't even count her as being Somali mm-hmm. do you know what I mean and so in my, it, in my it, case it's born in Canada and all of that yeah so exactly yeah, yeah. and in my case because I was the first one mm. this has never happened before so they like she escalated it the like regional manager the entire manager of Beijing I was going to meetings with people in very high places in my <laughs> first week <laughs> and like Everyone who is like Western, either from New Zealand, from Australia, South Africa, could clearly understand and be like, yo, this is, you know, some racism. We're going to try and work this out. But obviously, this is not like the foreground for we don't have power here, but we're going to try and see what we can do. And there's no HR. So the companies in China don't have HR. My company didn't have a HR. I was just having to communicate and email random people, but there's actually no HR that you can go to. They don't have a legal team. Wow. So it was, it was really scary the first mm. few days. How can you imagine? Yeah. And then you still, still <laughs> stayed. Wow. I stayed, yeah. So you've gone through all this. Um, you've, you've said, yo, run it to the top. Yeah. So now, now you've got high level people yeah. involved in the case. Mm. Let's, did you actually end up getting a bank account? Yeah, basically the CEO of the company responded saying, I have this many hundreds and thousands of employees in China. If you don't grant her a bank account, I'm going to like all of my, I'm going to move all the accounts. I'm going to go with another bank. And so, because I didn't want to lose, like, what I'm guessing is in the millions of business, they gave me the account. And I had to go back to the same lady that had refused me, like, twice. Uh, ah, yeah. I like that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it, it, it was a pride moment. Uh, you were like, yeah. run me my card, please. Yeah. But she was so petty that she placed so many restrictions on my card. Like, she, she made my life difficult. So, everyone had, like, a daily limit of 5,000 RMB. She set mine to 2,500. And there was nothing I could change it. Just little things to yeah, make sure yeah, yeah. that I would pay, you know? <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. and it was just other things as well. Like when I tried to set up a PayPal to send money from my Chinese account back to mm. my UK one, turns out my card's flagged. I can't do that. 
Wow. All of this, yeah. So, so how, how do you get your money back? Like, I can only you... take out, like, everyone else is taking out this much. So I made, I went back, I made her download the online banking for me, and I used to send money to other people in order to be able to get out, like, a, a good amount, because I couldn't. She set it up that uh, way. Yeah, yeah, so you can send it out so that they can get out of the exactly, 5,000 Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's what she did to me. She, she literally made sure my life was hard. She's, paid. Wow. She's like, okay, I have to give her this card, but I'm going to make it as hard for you as possible. Exactly. <laughs> and I would always have to go into my passport and be like, I want to withdraw cash. And it's like, why do you want to withdraw cash? Give me my money. Just... <laughs> I'm telling you. She used to wow. see me coming in the morning. I was scared she was going to kill me. Like, she hated me. <laughs> with passion. Only on the basis of the fact that like, you're, you're black and you're Muslim. Exactly, yeah. That is crazy. That's mm-hmm. crazy. So, okay, so now you've got, you've got, you've got a bank card finally. Mm-hmm. Even with some limitations, but you've got mm-hmm. a card. Yeah. Um, What's what's what did the um, twelve months there look like? The teaching aspect, the the food, the you know your mm-hmm. coworkers, you know the, the you know the engaging kids, the, people there, the kids, all mm-hmm. of how how. So I think the experience overall, I could actually say was my experience and interaction with Chinese people as a whole was pretty positive. I'd say 80% was positive, 20% was probably negative. But again, the positive definitely outweighed like the negative. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to my experience with institutions, it was completely opposite. Mm -hmm. Like 80% of it was completely terrible. And they made me just... They just made life very difficult for me. Mm. But I have to admit, I did have certain levels of privilege while I was there. Because I was British, they were less willing to do certain things to me that they probably could have. Because when I spoke to like people that were South African and they were Muslim, they had it much harder than I did. Or people that were from other African countries, people were from Nigeria, Uganda, that were students that were Muslim, they had it a lot harder than what I had. And I think that's only down to the fact that I was one in constant communication with my embassy. And I had them backing me in whatever I needed at the time. But so in that sense, the institutions was really rough, but the people as a whole were pretty good. Um, I think the students that I taught generally were amazing. I think kids, especially when they're very young, mm-hmm. don't have a concept of race or anything. So to them, <coughs> I was just their teacher, like teacher yeah. Najma, and they just loved me for that. They didn't really mind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the older ones was where I think it started to come out more in like how they'd been brought up and like, they would say things to me like, teacher, you're really beautiful, but you're still black. <laughs> and it's like, Ah, uh, you can't say this. You can't say, yeah, yeah. yeah, and it was literally to a point. The school where we worked at didn't actually have anything. So when we were when parents first signed up, that we had to create this PowerPoint that said, "While we welcome questions about ethnicity, your children do not have the right to racially abuse us. You can't be calling us names. The N word is not okay." You know, you can't say all of this. And a lot of the parents... So they, you had to actually teach them? Be like, we oh, had to teach is, them yeah. this, yeah. And a lot of the parents would take it negatively because the school I worked in was a lot of, like, rich kids. Yeah. Mm. And they're very snobby and the parents are incredibly snobby and they're like, who are you to talk? I pay you, I call you what I want type people. Mm. And it was like, no, if your child racially abuses a teacher, he will be kicked out of the school. He's not going to continue being here. And it's like, he's a child. He doesn't know what he's saying. You, well, you your, do. Yeah, <laughs> your child refers to his teacher as the N-word only when he's angry. That demonstrates he knows what he's doing. <laughs> he doesn't walk in and say, hi, nigga teacher. He doesn't start like that. He does it when he's angry. He knows exactly what's going on here. Yeah. And you making up excuses. All the parents will be like, he learnt it from movies. It's not offensive. They say it in songs. Ah, that's not how this works. No, you don't I'm sorry. The kids, when, you, uh, when they... When they're starting school or like when when you're teaching them, they already speak English. Yeah, so I taught all the way from three-year-olds to 18-year-olds. Right. And so, so the younger ones often don't speak English, but some of them do. Some of them are incredibly fluent. Like wow. when I would see them downstairs, when I'd like be on my lunch or something, I used to use them to translate for me. They're great. Like they're really yeah. resourceful kids. <laughs> like you have three-year-olds that can speak. The teacher, like, teacher, I don't like apples. I like oranges. How can you speak two languages at three? And like Chinese kids, I think are completely different to kids I've taught, like say in England Mm. or whatever, because the parents put so much pressure on them that they're Mm. very, very smart and very aware at very young ages. Like I had this one kid who was like an incredible violin player and he used to play like he was quite well known. And then like some of my older ones, one of them was playing tennis and she was like in some Chinese national team and she was an incredible tennis player. I had a few of them that used to do things like two of them were in basketball and then another one was a piano player. And oh. then I had this one kid who was so small. I don't know how she played the harp because she's only like maybe a fit and a half to tall, <laughs> but she plays the harp. Wow. And like they all have extracurricular skills. Like after English class, they'll be going to piano, volleyball, basketball, swimming, this. They all have all these skills that they do, that they have to do. Mm-hmm. So it's like the kid's intact is like 
way higher than you'd expect. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So I think the kids was like the best part that I enjoyed. I love teaching them. I think they were like, I taught some really great kids. Mm-hmm. And also the kids I taught, the older ones specifically, were always like getting ready to be sent abroad. So I would teach them more of like a conversational base mm-hmm. of English. Mm-hmm. So they were going to study, a few of them were going to study at Ivy Leagues in America. A few of them were going to Canada to study. Mm-hmm. And so they want to learn English that will help them to communicate and be able to like, sort of like get on with people and like i had to teach humor like i've never <laughs> i never thought i'd have to do that i had to teach humor and it's really hard uh, it's really hard to teach people why like you want to explain why to something's funny yeah it's no longer funny yeah, 100%, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah. we had to teach things like humor yeah. i teach them sarcasm uh, and like how to be able to de- detect sarcasm and things like that and like things you never think yeah, you're yeah, ever yeah. gonna get paid yeah, to teach yeah. that we had to teach well so like you would say the the parents are a lot harder yeah. to to deal with than the actual students of so. course because i think it's like that with any generation mm. like the older people generally tend to be more overtly racist and have prejudices and be completely shameless in sharing them with you mm. like i would have ptcs and the parents would be like you're very well educated for a person who's black usually in the movies they don't sound very well educated like, like everything that is <laughs> you know all the stereotypes and things we think about china or some of these like countries mm-hmm. is what we're hearing right now i know yeah. <laughs> we're just looking at each other yeah, like crazy. Wow. That's yeah, wild. but yeah. at the same time i think it's one of them ones where for every bad person you'll meet a good person yeah, yeah. it's not it's definitely not completely like that mm. and i have a lot of my kids that when a few of them would be racist the other ones will lose their shit and tell them off like you can't be saying this to teacher what's wrong with you you know so i think it's definitely changing but it's just the attitudes i think it's harder to change because that it's not china's not very involved in social media and these things so therefore like the norms and like societal ideals in england is never going to be sort of like communicated very well china because there's no there's no there's no lines of communication there's no way in which they interact so i'm not surprised that when i get there like things are completely different even little things like whenever i would teach professions they never understood that women would be doctors the woman's always a nurse the man's always a doctor and if you try and reverse them that teacher no the woman is the nurse the man is a doctor wow you know things Mm. like that yeah or like for example if you sometimes you have to show pictures of people and try and guess the profession and there'd always be the one photo of the black person. Oh, he's unemployed. He's on drugs. He's a rapper. Yeah, it takes a certain level of strength to not want to choke the kids. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or like any person who looks like they even have a little bit of color. Teacher, is that you? <laughs> no, this woman is Hispanic. It's not me. Teacher, is that you? That's Michelle Obama. It's not me. Like, I mean, any, you know what I mean? Uh, thank you for the compliment, but yeah, anyone is you, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyone that has even a little bit of color is you. And they always find it very interesting because I have, my mom, mom has seven children. I'm one of six. And to them, that's wild. Yeah, they can never yeah. fathom such a thing. Because like, of a one child like, thing. They love yeah. meeting them and being like, so how many siblings do you have? And everyone goes quiet. They're like, oh my God, they lose their mind. They cannot even fathom the idea of having more than one sibling. Uh, like it's insane. Because so now it's two children, the yeah, laws. Okay. But even still, like it's very uncommon that people will have a second child because mm. it's so expensive Absolutely. in China to have a second child that the majority of the kids are only children. So the fact that I have six siblings to them is insane. Wow. Like they lose their mind. <laughs> that's, that's insane. Yeah. You know, you hear about the one-child policy thing, mm-hmm. and obviously, you know, it's something that, you know, widely documented, but when you see it for yourself, and you yeah. see, you know, obviously the impact, and all these mm-hmm. things that we've heard of, yeah. you know, about China, and, and when you experience it firsthand, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's something else, isn't it? Yeah. The impact, I think, of the one-child policy is definitely very prevalent. Like, mm-hmm. when you go there, you can just tell. Mm-hmm. Like, some of the people I worked with, I know you're an only child. That's <laughs> why you act like this. Yeah. Like, nine people will be going out for dinner. Yeah. One of them will say, I don't like pizza. And you really <laughs> think the other eight are all going to change their mind because you don't like pizza do you know what i mean it's yeah, a certain yeah. level of entitlement yeah, i think that yeah, comes yeah, with being yeah. an only child and you have a whole generation of them mm-hmm. and it genuinely never sometimes you just look at them like how do you go through life like this thinking like they genuinely some of them genuinely do think the world rolls around them mm-hmm. because they've been used to having a set of parents two sets of grandparents that literally spoiled this one child and mm-hmm. now this child's an adult and still doesn't understand that you're just one of millions, you know? So wow. it's like, you can see it, it's very prevalent. And wow. also the shortage of girls, like yeah. the older kids that I taught, there was always 
loads of boys in comparison to girls. There's like a real imbalance of boys to girls in China. Like it's obvious. It's very obvious, yeah. Mm. In a class of 15, I'll have 10 boys and maybe five girls. Damn. Yeah, it's very obvious. So like you can, it's definitely prevalent. You can see the aftermath and the effects of it, which is why they now relax the laws and are trying to have people to have second mm. ones. But instead, people are just having two boys. Not really working, yeah. So did you, um, I'm guessing you're a bit of a celebrity. <laughs> you know, there's, there's, yeah. there's that tradition in there in Asian countries where um, where people yeah. um, uh, where they like to take pictures. Oh, definitely, like, yeah. yeah. They will take pictures of you everywhere. Like I was, I was just telling them this morning. Like you can't have off days in China. You cannot have off days. You can't be like, I'll tell them yeah. with me. No, yeah. there's nothing. Yeah, yeah. You, you have your paparazzi every single day of your life on your way to work. It's like in the morning commute. The, I think it's highly offensive when they try and take a selfie with you, and mm. you're like, no. And they'll take it regardless of you saying no. <laughs> it doesn't work. And wow. it's just, they just don't care. And yeah, they just come up and yeah. in, in front of your face. In front of your pictures. face, yeah. Once we were at the Temple of Heaven and this guy came up to us with a long lens camera. And as me and my friend were, talk, were talking to each other, he basically did a whole photo shoot while we were trying to ignore him. He was getting higher angles, lower angles. Just <laughs> incredible. And walked off without saying a word. You should have been like, listen to me, rub some of those pictures, man. You know what I mean? I feel like he did work. Yeah. insane. We genuinely thought he was taking photos of the temple yeah. until I realized, why is he coming from... The, he was, it was of us. Yeah. It wow. was of us. <laughs> well, one time I was at work and I was on lunch and I was sitting on a bench just sitting by myself. This is another thing. If you're ever in China, you never sit in the middle of a bench. Before you know it, two people will come sit there and next minute you're in a family photo. Oh. Like, it happened to me as I was eating my sandwich. I was just sitting in the bench. They came and sat next to me. Like, ah, I look up. And by the time I looked up, it's me and my sandwich in a photo. It was uh, so fast. They operate very quickly. <laughs> and I your, think is, you're, you're probably famous on WeChat and, uh, and Chinese yeah, terms. Do you know I what think, I mean? <laughs> I think I definitely have my own thread. I've been there for a year, you know? I'm pretty sure I must have my own thread by now. How do you think, like, Som Somalis or Africans who actually go there? So you were there for a year. Mm -hmm. uh, which is obviously a very long time, but <laughs> other people are there for six years yeah. studying yeah. numerous subjects. But there's a lot of people from here in, in, like, in the Western world who go there for medicine. Mm -hmm. I think it's definitely different. Like the people that I did see that, come, that are in Beijing, there's not many university students in Beijing at all because it's, like, it's the capital. They don't mm -hmm. really where they go. They go to areas like Guangzhou. And from what I've heard, it's completely different. There's lots of Somalis, lots of Arabs. They have Somali restaurants. Do you know how mad I was when I found this out? What? They have Somali restaurants. How far, so how far is that like from Beijing? Oh, it's it's like a while. It's yeah. a flight. Yeah, it's flags. Okay. Yeah. China's massive everywhere. Yeah, yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. Uh, it's expensive to cut about um, um, domestic flights. Um, domestic flights aren't particularly expensive. They're just really, I don't know how to explain it, but it's quite hard to get the tickets. Mm. Like, it's really hard because there's so many people in China. You have to fight for tickets. Like, if you want to go somewhere, you better book months in advance. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. That's the only downside. Is like you have to so even it. if you're leaving the country or just domestically? Usually it's domestically. Uh. It's not outside, but... For example, I, wanted, I went to Shanghai during the Chinese New Year and I've never regretted anything more in my life. <laughs> you have to go to train stations three hours before, like an airport. Uh, wow. Yeah. For train stations? For train stations, yeah. Because I was taking yeah, the bullet train from Beijing to Shanghai. It'll take you in five hours. Right. It's so fast that you actually get a mild headache when you're on there. And then before you go there, you have to go three hours beforehand, like at airport. Wow. You have to go through airport style security and everything to take a train. That's how packed it is. Mm -hmm. There's, there's millions and millions oh, of people. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, so wow. it's, it's, it's nothing like you've ever known before. Nah, yeah, it's, it's not something we, we can comprehend. Yeah. Um, because obviously, it's, it's a completely different world. Mm. But um, what would you say, like, your worst, worst experiences, bar from, you know, that first week? Mm. What, what was, uh, like, something oh, you look back at now, you think, wow. Oh, we got stranded a few times. Right. And what most scary thing in your life is being stranded in a place where you don't speak the language. It's the most scary thing. Okay. So we decided to go on a trip to this place called the Water Tide. It's called Gobe. We went there. And um, the way you get there is you just hitch a ride. You, you, you go on the bus. You don't buy tickets. You get there. You give the guy your WeChat. You haggle. You give him a price. He says, okay, you guys get on. On the way back, we assumed if that's how we got there, that's how we must get back. Turns out, no. It's a <laughs> one-way form of transport. So in order to get back... You need a, a driver, a person with a car. Not a single one of us drive, let alone drive in China. Not a single one of us can drive. And oh we're my there. God. And the water town <laughs> is now closing. It's midnight. And we realize 
we're stranded. We all have work the next morning at 8.45. It's now one in the morning. We have no humanly possible, like no options of getting home in the slightest. And to make matters worse, we didn't bring our passports that day because oh. it was because oh it's in Beijing. Yeah. It wasn't like we were going long distance. Yeah, like it's really literally like you're in Birmingham, you're gonna go to Coventry. What would possess you to bring your passport? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And we took our bus there. It's not like we were taking the metro system in which you can't get stopped. Yeah. So six undocumented foreigners oh. in a water town <laughs> at one in the morning. They closed it. So right now we're all just standing in the car park watching all the coaches leave that people have clearly rented themselves and not decided to tell us about. <laughs> We went there, we tried to say like, you know, we will pay you anything, can we just get on? Sorry, we're full, we're packed, we're not. One of them guys was like, I'm going to Sichuan. We're like, yeah, we do not need to be going. That's the other side of China. Like, that's not where we need <laughs> wow, to be going. Okay. And then like, our Chinese obviously incredibly limited. So we're just repeating the words of, do you go to Beijing? And how much? That's all we're repeating, yeah. that's all we can communicate. <laughs> and then the guy is like, this one guy finally says, I'll take one of you. There's six of us, we'll look at each other, who's gonna bail? <laughs> Thank God nobody bailed. <laughs> it really tested our loyalty. Yeah. <laughs> Finally, I'm, I'm, getting getting but, but you have to realize then this guy's gonna drop you in Beijing. You don't know where in Beijing. Do you know how big Beijing is? How big is it? It's very big. Um, I mean, you can drive at least two, three hours just within your state in Beijing. Wow. It's massive. Yeah. So there's even a part of Beijing that has a great that has a great wall. That's how that's how far it reaches. It's just <laughs> massive. Yeah, it's just it's insane. Wow. Then it comes about three in the morning, and we finally there's a, the Uber app over there. It's called Didi, and in order to get a taxi, the guy told us, "Yo, listen." The guy came up to us and was like, "You're not getting a bus from here. You're not going home from here. What you need to do is you need to walk towards the highway." start following the buses as though you are also a bus <laughs> and follow them <laughs> to the highway until you get to a place where you can find a pin where it's a location yeah. and then if a taxi wants they will take you but just be prepared and we're like we'll pay anything we will pay anything at this point yeah. please get us home so you begin walking it's uphill it's hilly it's it was a hike and a half it's freezing cold because like two in the morning at this point two uh -huh. three in the morning we're walking, walking, walking for what well, felt like hours. Turns out it was only like an hour and a half, but it felt like hours. That's still, that's still it's long still long, so pretty long, mate. <laughs> like, guys, it felt like it felt like two days. It's, it's, <laughs> it's like late at night as well. Yeah, and you're tired and it's uh, yeah, you're stressed. Yeah, I'm telling you, like, and then obviously, no one, everyone's phones beginning to die, and we're yeah. like, oh my god, our phones are dying. I'm the only one that had a phone to a battery because I always carry one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So we're walking, walking. We're using the flashlights because obviously it's not a very well lit motorway. Just walking. Imagine we're like six foreigners walking along the hard shoulder on the M M M1. It's so strange. Chinese people are walking past and taking photos of us. They find it hilarious. <laughs> Finally get there. Taxi comes. He's willing to charge us the equivalent of like maybe 200 pounds. Wow. For like less than an hour's journey. And then there's too many of us. And we're like, we'll pay you extra if we can all just get in the car. So on the way there, like people are sitting on top of each other, someone's trashed all the way across, like <laughs> all trying to fit into some small little banger. <laughs> and then he's going to get us back to central Beijing and then we have to. And then within two hours, we have to go to work. So nobody was going to sleep. You went home, had a shower, refreshed wow. and went to work the next day. That was probably the hardest night. We thought we were going to die because <laughs> the first guy who said he was going to give us a, a drive yeah. and was going to take us. I don't know how else to explain it, but he looks like he eats people. He was so, so scary looking that we all agreed that if we get in this car, we're going to die. He looked so scary that the only conclusion we came to is he's a cannibal. It has yeah, to be. Yeah, yeah. You know? Natural conclusion. Yeah, yeah. You know, natural. And he's like, guys, I'll take you there for half the price. Like, he's going to kill us. He's going to harvest our organs. That's, that's, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, beggars can't be choosers. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, some yeah. of us are like, we're going to die. Other ones are like, but what if we live? <laughs> it was incredible. That's probably the roughest night ever. Okay. Oh and, and, and as a direct contrast, what was your best experience? Best experience, um, camping on the Great Wall. We did that. That was. Oh, wow. wow. Is that an option? People can do that. I mean, it's kind of illegal, but people I do, do it. <laughs> people yeah. do it. Okay. People do it. Yeah. So there's, with the Great Wall, you have like a different size. There's Mutianyu, Badalingi, and those are the, like, they tend to be the ones that are like sort of restored and like the fancy nice ones where you get all the photos and everything. Yeah. But if you speak to the locals, uh -huh. which we had a few of the local teachers, they can organize where you go on the old side of the Great Wall 
and basically you can hike up the hike up and then camp overnight and come down the next day that's crazy that's what we decided to do mm. as usual we are always unprepared naturally we get there naturally we get there. <laughs> we're wearing air forces nikes and everything not hiking gear <laughs> and we get there and i swear to god to this day the hardest thing i've ever done in my life was to hike the great wall people always say oh i went to the great wall they lie there's cable cars yeah. so if you go to meet and you battling they all have cable cars no one actually hikes off the great wall because it's incredibly difficult it, like, it's a stupid thing to do <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah as foreigners stupid yeah. ones we decided to go now these locals go up and down there all the time because they're tour guides mm. so these two like 70 year old looking chinese couple are going up and down for bands and we're dying one night and then we get there and here's the camping equipment turns out we have to continue to carry the camping equipment up the great wall and oh. i'm just there like we're gonna die <laughs> so we're hiking up and there's no bar there's no path so like you're about if you look back and you look back, you're going to cry because like, there's no way back. If you fall, you're definitely going to die. Yeah. And like we're in the middle of the woods and it's like really, really hot. And it was just so rough. I think in, eventually it took us like an hour and a half to finally get to the top. Yeah. And that was just because we were scared because we kept on hearing noises. <laughs> you wow. know, like fear will send you up the great wall, <laughs> yeah. you know. And then we had to carry all of our camping equipment. But then like watching the sunset watching the sunrise ah. all of that was incredible like, no not a lot of people can say they've camped in yeah. uh, at the yeah. great wall so it's also we died like that night I, I honestly believe my heart stopped beating uh. it was so cold that like, i believe my heart just started restarted <laughs> like i can't explain to you how cold it, it's october yeah in china mm. and like we're sleeping obviously everyone's wearing like five tops 12 trousers and even then you're in your tent it was the, the I felt like the cold was coming out of the earth. Like I can't explain it to you. It was I just, think whoever <laughs> recommended you to do it wanted to kill you. Right? <laughs> so we get there, and the people who are actually taking us come out with like they have these big duvets and everything. We didn't think to bring duvets. Uh, we just brought the camping equipment, and then they give us our sleeping bag each. And obviously, this is built for an average Chinese person, right? So they're incredibly short. It doesn't even you can't even get fully inside them. So we just we just ended up opening them and using them as blankets. Oh my days. And then it was freezing cold and but like the views were incredible. Like it was so worth it. It was amazing. That's wow. the best thing. Sunset and sunrise on 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 on, on the it Great Wall. Incredible. That's that's not that's yeah. that's a bucket list sort of thing. Yeah. I'm not too incredible. sure about bucket list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, uh, the Great Wall as a whole was amazing. I yeah. went back afterwards. Maybe I think I've been three three times. Yeah. But obviously, the other times I went the civilized way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cold, the normal way. Yeah. <laughs> the first time we went through it. But you have to you have to go through them type of experiences to appreciate. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, we 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 went to uh, camp at a beach, which was not. One of the smartest things you, you could do. At all. Uh, Didn't the tide come in? Oh, the yeah. tide came in. The wind came in. We were there trying to light the fire and you've got these crazy winds blowing everything away. Oh, yeah, we you've got sand everywhere. Yeah, it, yeah, it, was, it was something when else. When we were on the Great Wall, that's when you realise which one of your friends is going to die due to natural selection. You will not make it. Yeah. We're trying to light fire, so we did. And by the way, while we were camping, it rained. Oh, oh my god! Oh my god! So anything that could have gone wrong, went anything wrong, that yeah? could have gone wrong, <laughs> and then we're trying to keep the fire alive, and these people are bringing me wet, tr- wet branches and stuff, and I'm like, "Are you dumb? Water? Do you realize how this works?" And like, how do you know how to make a fire? It's called survival. It kicks in. Like I, I learned today. You know? Like you literally, when you're under pressure, you will learn how to yeah, do things by force. Yeah. 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 And then like, I went to sleep because they were meant to take watch, and the one guy we left in charge let the fire go out. La, we la, so la, mad la. because here's the fire and we camped all around it to try and give us I don't understand coldest night of my life <laughs> it was incredibly <laughs> cold like our tent was so cross everyone's like now your tent's gonna catch on fire I don't care I don't care like, bro yeah. at least it'll be warm you yeah know? it'll be warm <laughs> he let it go out and everyone after he had to get up and light the fire and everyone oh, was like I want to throw you off the wall I can't believe you did this <laughs> and one job and yeah, one, one job, job. <laughs> 
and the thing was we, we were rotating as well. like yeah. such a oh letdown. Oh my god! Oh my Super god! Yeah. But yeah, it was like the views were unmatched. It was mm. incredible. There's nothing like it. Like I would recommend you guys all go camping, but obviously go in the summer and um, <laughs> don't do anything we did. Yeah, well, I, the opposite. I've ever decided like to go to China in the first place. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> no, I definitely think you should. I think everyone should visit. Mm. I don't know if I told you guys to live there mm. for a year. Yeah, so would you recommend that? <laughs> yeah, so on that on that point, we've heard positives, we've heard the challenges, um, final recommendations. As a um, as a as a visibly Muslim black woman, um, you know, what was your overall uh, experiences, and would you recommend it? Um, I think this question is kind of like a tricky one because I always I, I find myself changing my mind, going back and forth. Like, okay. Would I? Would I not? I think I don't regret it. That's for sure. Okay. Like, it was incredible. But at the same time, I think it was very important to go because a lot of the people that I'd met, surprisingly, not the Chinese people, but the other foreigners had never met a Muslim person before. So I think it's really important that as Muslim people, we are visible and we do interact in spheres where maybe we aren't traditionally like welcomed. So I think in that sense, it was very important. Like I worked with two people that I'm pretty sure voted Trump and hated me. But at the same time, they learned a lot from knowing a Muslim person. Like they learned that I was not ISIS. I was not affiliated with them. In any <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like stuff like this that we take for granted is actually very, very important. Mm. And even the Chinese people I worked with, they start to differentiate the difference between what an actual Muslim looks like in real life versus what's portrayed in the media. Mm. So I think in that sense, like it's really, really important. I can't say how important it is to take up spaces that we're not necessarily welcomed in. Mm. But, with the things, I think the way things have put, have gone while I was in China and the way it escalated, I think it would be very ignorant and naive if I was to say, go now. Because it wasn't like this when I actually went. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had some hardships and everything. But <clears throat> at no point did I actually think my life was in danger. Yeah. So I think right now with the camps and everything that's happening, I would say it's, it's it wouldn't be a very smart thing to do. Especially if you're a Muslim hijabi that's visible. Even if you're not, if you're a Muslim and you're practicing muslim and you're visibly muslim it's it would definitely be a dangerous thing to do so i wouldn't say go now but i think it is important to go to places like china or maybe they're like you know we here because while i was there i did learn some things about chinese people like don't get me wrong i had like my brush up brush ups with like authority and everything but chinese people are like any other people you have amazing people and you have terrible people but that's just with any type of population and mm. i think the media specifically like has all has not been very kind to China as a whole mm. throughout the last years. So I think in that sense, I could I almost like weirdly empathize with them because as Muslims, we have the exact same thing, you know, mm. we're portrayed just as negatively in the media, if not more mm-hmm. like, so I think in that sense, it's like very important, but just right now, no, I don't mm. think it's a good idea to go. If I had to go again now, I probably wouldn't mm. just because I don't think it's safe. And also, I think the most important thing of it all is like, if you ever feel like your life is in imminent danger, it's naive. Like, don't die for a cause. Like, <laughs> I, 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 like this is not one of them ones where you're going to be like, oh, yeah, she's a martyr. It's not it. No, no, go. Yeah, stupidity. Leave. Yeah, yeah, don't do it. So I would say don't do it. But at the same time, I don't regret going. Like, it was very important. I love the answer. It's a wonderful answer. Oh, incredible thanks. answer. Thanks. <laughs> um, what advice... And we'll, we'll kind of end it with this. What kind of advice would you give to like young um, Muslim women who are thinking of, you know, um, not necessarily China, but you know, the kind of the general things that you learn? Mm-hmm. Um, so, young Muslim women that are kind of uh, planning on leaving and wanting to go to another country, a different experience. What kind of general lessons or, or giveaways or takeaways did you take from, you know, moving out on your own and living in a different culture, a different society, all that kind of stuff? Um, I think the first thing definitely is in today's society, like you can never be too safe when it comes to personal safety. So like, obviously, always know where your rights are, know where your embassy is, know where things like that is. It's incredibly important. And just little things as well, like making sure people know where you are at all times, where you're going and like just take your personal safety like incredibly seriously and also know your rights and know what you can and can't do, for example. But then at the same time, I would say like engage with people, like get to know other people. I have friends now that are from places like Texas. So, you know, like some of my friends, if I close my eyes, I swear I can hear a redneck. But they're some <laughs> of my closest friends yeah. now. Yeah. You know, so like don't judge a book by its cover. Like we often hate that we're prejudged mm-hmm. by what we look like and everything. But mm. I think it's 
it takes a certain level of like responsibility to realize that we also have our own prejudices and that's not something i realized yeah. like when i heard people from like a deep south accent i automatically assumed you vote trump and hate me mm. well, it's not necessarily true Absolutely. you know so i think you have to kind of like give people a chance and mm. also i think which is the most important thing is just like be open-minded so like even though i had a lot of like negative experiences with china i think they're great people and i think there's a lot of things that the west can learn from china and even the way in which like the grandparents raise the younger children they all speak excellent mandarin they have mm. great cultural values which and things like that that we can really learn from mm. so i think be open-minded be aware of your personal safety and give people a chance like just get to know so many people because you learn a lot from people that are from different parts of the earth so mm. do that okay. and 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 final question um do you speak mandarin now I speak very little Mandarin. Okay. I, I call it I call it my Mandarin starter pack. Like, <laughs> <laughs> what I need to yeah. order food. You can get by. You can get by. You can get by. That's all you did. There. That's enough. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. enough. I did try to learn how to read and write, and then I found out that once you learn what characters mean, mm. if they put something else in front of it, the entire character means something else. It was at that point I gave up. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, there's no, not. I can't. It's not gonna happen. It's not gonna happen. It's not it. Uh, Najma, it's been an absolute pleasure having you oh, on. Thank, thank you so much for um, um, much. for popping by. Um, so, what does the future hold for you? Are you going to be in Antarctica next, or uh? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my mom says that too? Yeah. I don't know. You know, yeah. we'll find out. Okay, and, and so. plug yourself, like so. Oh, plug myself. Okay, yeah. hit like, your socials, your website, all that. Yes. Stuff. So, um, please check out my Instagram. Um, my Instagram handle is Miss Najma Hersey. and same for my YouTube. It's my name, Najma Hersey. So check out. I'm going to be posting some videos soon, inshallah. Once I get stop procrastinating, I'll do it soon, inshallah. So yeah, check that out. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It's been a very illuminating conversation. Thanks again. Um, and thank you guys for listening. You know, we're back properly. Um, this isn't, you know, the Fatah. You know, we're back. This is... This this is, is, this I don't is, know. I don't like is, how you're dropping my is, name This first. is a Salman guarantee. We are actually <laughs> officially back. Um, I've been Salman. I've been Adistah. And we'll catch you guys in the next one. Peace.